If you put a title on James chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, it would be something like this. Choose your friend wisely, uh, which is what James is going to deal with here. Matter of fact, as one writer said, he said, The enemy of your soul will gladly give you your formal theology. If in your real daily life he can control the thoughts and motives of your heart, and thereby controlling the way you act, react, and respond. There's a lot of truth to that. Matter of fact, there's a phrase. There's a matter of fact, some of you have probably used this. Well, you know, with friends like you, who needs any enemies? Okay? Or there's another phrase that we often use as well. You need to be careful who your friends are. You need to be careful who you allow them to be. James is going to deal with that in chapter 4, verse 1 through verse number 6. But what is interesting as you come to chapter 4 is James is going to give us a further evidence of a living faith. And that further evidence is found in this. It is... It is the right attitude when it comes to the world. And that can be difficult sometimes to draw that fine line that's there between who we should be according to the Scripture and the Word of God and our relationship with Christ and the world. And sometimes it can get cloudy and sometimes it can get very difficult to determine just where that line may be or where that line may fall. In verse 27 of chapter 1, I want you just to flip back to chapter 1 and look at verse 27 with me. Because James ended chapter 1 with a very interesting statement. And here's what he said. He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their distress... But he adds something to the end of it. And I want you to pay particular attention to what he says. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. Can we become stained by the world? We can. And matter of fact, when we try to walk so close to the line of the world, if we're not careful, we can fall off over in there. But there's just this, this clear line about the way we should act, the way we should live our lives each day understanding and realizing just the significance of finding ourselves or falling into the culture, the ways of the world, the pressures of the world. And matter of fact, here's what happens. We're seeing it today. They're beginning to make their way even into the church. But James is going to deal with this because James writing to believers Here in James chapter number 4, I want you to notice what he says. First of all, James says that it is the war in the heart that is helping to cause the wars in the church. Matter of fact, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 4, I want you to notice what James writes. He says, so what is the source of quarrels? And that's an interesting word there because the Greek word there is actually polemos, and basically, it's a kind of a, it's, it's a battle. It's a, it's a war-type term that he uses there. 
He said, but what is the source of quarrels or wars or battles and conflicts among you? He said, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? In other words, is it, is it not the very pleasures of yourself that's waging an internal war inside of you that is creating this battle, this quarrel, this conflict with inside of the church that you find yourself in? Matter of fact, Paul, Paul struggled with this in his own life. If you flip back to Romans chapter 7 and look at verse 25, I want you to notice one of the things that, that Paul even uses this same terminology here in um, chapter 7 of the book of Romans, verse 23. And I want you to notice as Paul writing about his own self here and the conflict that existed inside of his own self He says in verse 23, he said, but I see a different law in the members of my body. He says, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Let me tell you something. Paul struggled with it. He said, the very things that I ought to do, he said, I don't do. And the things I ought not to do, he said, those are the very things that I do. He said, there is a battle, there is a war raging inside of me. And if we're not careful, the waging of that war and that battle inside of us can bleed over into the church. And so conflicts and wars and quarrels and all of those things, oftentimes when you get to the base of them, you get to the foundation of them, Isn't it oftentimes seen from this light that most of the time it's probably something inside of our hearts that's creating this versus what's actually taking place or going on? And so therefore, James asked the question back in chapter 4. He said, what's the source of it? What is the source of this difficulty? The last part of verse 1 of chapter 4, he said, is not the source your pleasures that wait. In other words, it's a selfish thing. It's It's a selfish thing. You see, when there, is a, when there is a desire for the wrong kind of pleasures, the result is a self-inflicted battle in your own heart. Matter of fact, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and verse 16. Very familiar passage of Scripture. As John writes for us, and he cautions us with something. And matter of fact, you can take 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and verse 16, and go back to Genesis chapter number 3 and look at what occurred with Eve, and you'll see it fits this same very path that John writes about here in 1 John chapter number 2, verse 15 and verse 16. And notice what he says. He said, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. In other words, your Your loyalty should not be to the things and the ways of the world. That's not where it should be. He said, because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so even John himself draws that picture for us. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Let me tell you something. All of those things come from our self. They're not from God. Matter of fact, when Eve in the Garden of Eden, when she, when she saw the fruit and 
she looked and she saw how well the fruit looked and she had this desire to apparently must be good. And Satan says, and when you eat of it, you'll be just like God. They all follow that same path. And I will say this to you today, all sin that we commit in our life travel down that same path. We're not to love the world. There's got to be this, there's got to be this clear delineation between us and the world. Now, let me say this to you. We should not come to the point that we become so heavenly minded that we're absolutely no earthly good. But there is a balance. There's a line there of that, that loyalty that we have, that, that love that we can have for the world if we're not careful. And these lustful desires are dangerous because they lead to wrong actions. As John wrote here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and verse 16, they lead to wrong actions and motives. Quickly, sometimes without us seeing it. I want you to notice what James writes in verse 2. He said, you lust and do not have. So you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And you do not have because you do not ask. Well, I want you to notice verse 2 in in chapter 4, but I want you to flip back to chapter 1 and look at verse 15 as James gives us a correlation here between the two of them. Matter of fact, he gives us the path. And it all begins with the lust. Verse 15, notice what James had written. Then when lust has conceived, using the description here of a a conceiving process in a child. So when lust has conceived, in other words, that has been conceived in our heart, then here's what happens. It then gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it is accomplished, when the cycle is completed, it brings forth death. So we see the cycle that it walks down, that it travels down. And my dear friend, it doesn't make any difference what sin it is. It all travels down the same path because sin originates from within inside of ourselves, not from God. And don't ever blame your sin on God. Well, you know, if God hadn't have done this or God wouldn't have allowed this, then I wouldn't be here. You know what's so bad? God often takes the blame for things he has no business being blamed for. And I hear people say this all the time. Well, you know, you used to be on bumper stickers. People used to travel around with these. You know, there was a day when I was growing up where the back of cars were plastered with bumper stickers. Anybody remember those? You've seen them all over the place. And what was always bad was when you wanted to trade the car in and sell it. Then you went to try to pull those things off. They didn't come off too well. But I remember one very clearly. I haven't seen one in a while, but this was a very frequent one that I used to see all the time. Matter of fact, people used to wear T-shirts with it on the front of it. Satan made me do it. Well, my dear friend, let me share something else with you today. Satan doesn't make you do anything. When lust hath conceived it, then it brings forth sin. And when it's completed, then it brings forth death. That is the completed cycle. Verse 2 of James chapter number 4, notice what James writes. You lust and don't have. Is it any wonder why you don't have? Is it maybe because of the request that you have is based out of the lust coming out of your own heart and not 
from the will of God in your life. You know, when we pray, we don't pray within ourselves. We should always pray in the will of God. Are you ready for this? If you're a believer here today, the Holy Spirit lives with inside of you. And oh, by the way, the Holy Spirit offers up groanings on our behalf for the saints according to the what? According to the will of God, not ours. Not ours. James says, even to the extent that it becomes destructive to ourselves and possibly even to others. He says in verse 2, so you commit murder. Can it go to that point? Sure it can. And then he goes on to say, and you're envious and cannot obtain. Envious, envy, envy destroys. Envy will just absolutely destroy you from the inside out. Why, 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 is there, why, why would there be any need for us to be envious? Boy, I tell you what, sure wish I had a physique that looked like that, you know, with what do they call them, six packs or whatever for guys, okay? You know, and these big old biceps that bulge out here? You know, they wear those tight shirts, so, you know, when they do that, that tight shirt kind of tightens up, you know? And the list goes on and on and on. I, I could go on and on and on. What about what's parked in the driveway? Well, you know, it sure would be nice if I had a 10-bedroom house. Really? Yeah, you'd be complaining because you had to clean all of it. Okay. But we get to the point that if we're not careful, our desires, the lust that came, come from our own selfish desires, not being prayed in the will of God at all. And my dear friend, let me share something with you this morning. We have absolutely no reason to be envious of anyone else in our lives because we have everything that God has to offer to us. And I don't know about you. So what are you wanting to do? Are you wanting to accumulate all of your inheritance here before you go to receive what God has for you? It don't matter to me what happens here. What concerns me more is what's coming later. If we're not careful, Satan can get us so distracted that it controls the way we act, controls the way we we react, controls the way we respond. And let me say something to you this morning. Your theology can be so right on and so strong that you absolutely miss out on the most important thing. Verse 3. Worldly desires. Worldly desires are not only destructive, but they're also selfish. Look at verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. You ought to underline the next phrase, so that you can what? So that you can spend it on your pleasures. So that you can spend it on your pleasures. Let me tell you something. We're, hey, human beings, boy, we love our entertainment and we love our pleasures, don't we? Huh? And it seems like the more of them we get, the more of them we won't. And what really, what really concerns me is when I hear somebody say, but, but I deserve that. Huh? You deserve it? Why? 
I mean, why, why in the world do you think you would deserve any of that? And the big phrase today that nobody wants to talk about and nobody wants to use, well, I'm entitled to it. Are you really? James is going to, let me tell you something, James is going to cover that in just a minute as we make our way on through here. And here's what James writes. He says, you, you don't have, and here's the reason you don't have, because you've asked wrongly. Matter of fact, with corrupt intent to spend it on yourselves. There's this, there's this, there's this selfish intent behind you. There's this selfish intent behind this request that you have. Because I will tell you something, it is for your good, not necessarily for the kingdom and for our lives. Now, is it a bad thing to go to the Lord and pray? No. Is it a bad thing to ask God for things? No. But I will tell you, there is, there is a line there. There's a very definite line there. Because when we pray, matter of fact, Jesus, when he was teaching the disciples to pray, they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And so when Jesus taught them to pray, here's what he told them. He said, when you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let me tell you what he starts out with adoration and praise. How often when do we, when we pray, the very first thing we do is, Father, I thank you for this day, and here's the list. He said, let, let, me, let me teach you how to pray. You start with adoration. And matter of fact, Jesus himself said, and when you pray, as it continues through this model prayer, here's what he says. He said, your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. See, our prayer oftentimes is, God, this is what I want here. Have you ever thought maybe it wasn't God's will for what it is that you're praying? Maybe you're asking from a very selfish standpoint. That now what we've allowed to happen is our own lust, as it is conceiving inside of us, is moving us to the place that we're more concerned about pleasures than we are about God himself. You say, well, what are you talking about, Brother Robert? Well, let me give you a list real quick. Whether it's pride, greed, lust, or some other self-centered goal, it's the wrong motive. Greed, yeah, greed's an ugly thing. Pride, pride can be a very ugly thing. Matter of fact, the book of Proverbs writes, and here's what it said, there are six things that, that God hates. Seven are an abomination to him. The very first one on the list is a proud look. Pride. Pride. God desires for us to approach him in prayer. That is for sure. But there is always the condition that prayer be according to his will. Matter of fact, flip back to 1 John. Just flip over a couple books to 1 John to the right, all right? And look at chapter 5 and verse 14. 1 John chapter 5. Because John makes this very clear. 
1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. This is the confidence. This is the confidence which we have before him. That if we ask anything according to what? His will. Whose? His. Not ours. His. Folks, listen to me. This thing ain't about you and me. This thing ain't about us. And the church today needs to understand and realize this thing's all about God. It's not about us. And the only reason that we're here and in this place is what James is going to eventually get to in this portion of his letter. So when we pray, we should pray seeking his will. Well, we come to verse 4 of James chapter 4. And James sets before us the ultimate loyalty, faithfulness, and relational intimacy that God's people share with him. And also the seriousness of violating that intimacy. Look at verse 4. And notice how he refers to them. You adulteresses. And let me tell you what he's speaking about there. He's speaking about spiritual adultery. Can we as believers today commit spiritual adultery? We surely can. When we take, when we take the intimacy that is due to God himself and his holiness for who he is, and we take that intimacy and we take that loyalty and admiration and we move it to the things of the world. My dear friend, listen to me. You commit spiritual adultery. James says, you adulteresses. He goes on to say, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? It's hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I don't know about you. Don't want to be an enemy of God. Let me tell you how Abraham was referred to by God. He was referred to by God as the friend of God. Why? Let me ask you. So, so was Abraham perfect? No. Matter of fact, he took Sarah and they went down into Egypt on one, on one occasion. Guess what? He lied about who she was. Was Abraham perfect? No. They desired to have a child. God said, you're going to have one. So they waited and waited and waited. And finally, Sarah just ran out of patience. And so Hagar came on the scene. And as a result of what happened with Hagar, now we have the son of the flesh and we have the son of the spirit or the son of the promise. Was Abraham perfect? No. But I will tell you, at the end of the day, go read Hebrews chapter number 11. By faith, Abraham left the Ur of the Chaldees and traveled to a land that he did not know where he was going. And then it goes on further in Hebrews 11, and it says, By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac, knowing that if God were to kill him, he would have to raise him back up again because of the promise. So when you go to Romans chapter number 4, don't be amazed that Romans chapter 4 says, that Abraham's offering of Isaac, his faith 
was counted to him for righteousness. His obedience to what God had called him to do. Folks, please listen to me today. All God asks for from us is our obedience to what he's called us to do. But how often times do we take and we take the allegiance and the intimacy that is due to God and we give it to the things of the world? You see, ultimate devotion can only be shown to one person. I hate to tell you that. To only one. Matter of fact, Jesus spoke about this. Turn with me to Matthew chapter number 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew deals with this. Matter of fact, Jesus speaking about it. Matthew chapter 6. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter number 6, in verse 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. <laughs> you can't have two of them. You can't try to let the world be your master and, 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 and God be your master and try to hold on. You, you can't do it. And notice what Jesus goes on to say. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And notice what he says. You cannot serve God and wealth. Can't serve both of them. Let me tell you what you got to do. You got to choose who you go serve. You got to choose where your love is going to be centered. And where your devotion is going to be centered you see James compares friendship with the world to adultery did you know that the belief as a believer did you know that when you become a child of God you're married to Christ did you know that now all of a sudden that changes the whole picture because my question to you today, would, would you commit adultery with the one that you love and are married to? Turn with me to Romans chapter number 7. Romans chapter 7. And I want you to notice verse 4. Notice what Paul, as he's writing here, he says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. For what reason? So that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit of God. In other words, we've been joined together in Christ. We've been married to Christ. And we ought to be faithful to him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2. And I know we can all pretty much probably quote that, but have you ever stopped and just carefully considered the words? Because Paul also makes reference to the world here. 
And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in that place. He says in verse 1 of chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2, And do not be conformed to what? To this world. But be what? Be transformed. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Not to be conformed to the world. Now let's go back to James chapter 4. Finally, we come to verse 5. I will say this. Verse 5 is difficult to fully understand. Totally. Verse 5 says, or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? In other words, do you think the words are just on the page for no reason? Huh? In other words, do we live our lives sometimes just if, if the words on the page are nothing more than just words on a page with no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Let me just kind of summarize and put that in a nutshell of what James is right. James says in effect here, do you know that you yourselves are living proof of the truth of Scripture? Which clearly teaches that the natural man has a spirit of envy. That's what we have. It's a spirit of envy. You know something? I'm, you know what I like about James? He doesn't stop at verse 5. He keeps going. Because I love verse 6. But let me caution you something about verse 6. And let me say this this morning. Grace is not licensed to live however you want to live. Let me say this, and I know we all struggle with this. Every one of us in this building do. You know, God's demand for perfection can sometimes feel just a little overwhelming and unattainable in an evil and broken world. It can be difficult. Why? Because of the same battle that Paul spoke about. What does God desire of us? Obedience to him. Sometimes that can be tough. Why? Because we're bombarded all around us every single day. And that fleshly nature that still resides within inside of us can do what sometimes? Huh? Can it? But you come to verse 6. And notice what James writes. He said, but he gives a greater grace. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the who? To the humble. You see, James is actually writing there from Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34. You know, God is eager to forgive and welcome all who come to him in repentance. And we've gotten to the place today that repentance doesn't mean anything anymore. What's repentance? I don't have to pop. What do I got to repent of? And here's what's really concerning to me is when I hear people say, well, God understands. God just knows where I am. You better be careful with that mindset. 
repentance. Repentance is, we're losing sight of that today. Let me tell you why. Here's what God wants you to do. Do not depend on your own self. Here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to depend on his grace. He wants you to depend on his grace. Let me ask you a question. What saved you? His grace. What keeps you and sustains you? His grace. So therefore, let me, here's how simple it is. So therefore, we ought to live in his grace. Why? Because it's available to us. His grace is there for us. You see, God wants us to depend on his grace. (sighs) Satan wants us to depend on ourselves. So let me give you our three greatest enemies this morning in closing. These are your three greatest enemies. If you didn't know this, here they are. Number one is the world. Number two is the flesh. And number three is Satan. You know, sometimes we wish if we could just take ourselves out of the equation. Huh? Life would be so much easier. Or if we could just shut out the world, it'd be so much easier. Mm-mm. He wants us to depend on his grace in our lives. Because you see, it is only by God's grace that a person can be changed from being his enemy to being called his child or his friend. Only by his grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.